It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is WebyShibbit.org, and it's time to begin our regular Halacha Shir. Uh, we're talking about uh, brewing coffee, making coffee on Shabbos, and the, the principles which we're going to cover deal not only with preparing coffee, but the principles cover a wide range of cooking issues on Shabbos. Uh, I specifically want to focus on the on the fresh on the French press uh, method of uh, of making coffee. You know, you you put the coffee into into this glass cylinder. Uh, you pour on hot water. You push the plunger down. Uh, the plunger forces all the grounds, all the ground coffee uh, to the bottom. Uh, you pour off the, uh, the 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 coffee from the top. The um, well, well, the, the principles have to do with what is and what is not a violation of cooking and what is and what is not a violation of separating uh, the, the, uh, what you want to drink, in this case, or what you want to eat from what you don't want. Let's see the source, source materials and let them speak for themselves. Uh, yes. First. Uh, the question of uh, defining what is and what is not cooking. Now, remember that uh, coffee beans, uh, which you buy, whole coffee beans, which you gr buy and grind yourself, or ground coffee beans, you buy them already ground. Uh, the coffee beans were all, we, were, all, were all roasted before you bought them. Well, maybe you roast your own. But, but of course, before preparing coffee on Shabbos, the beans are always roasted. Now, uh, uh, does does brewing them constitute an act of cooking again? Let's see what the Gemara has to say, and then we'll proceed down to the modern poskim. Amar Rav Yitzchak, Amar Rav Avdimi. Amachat, once, Nichnasti Acha Rebi Lebeta Merchatz. Once, I snuck into the bathhouse to observe Rebi bathing himself. I speak North American English, bathing himself uh, outside of North America. Well, I guess he was outside of North America, so he was bathing himself. Uh, now, you might find that to be a little bit strange. Why on earth the, the Talmud would want to sneak into the bathhouse to see his Rebbe um, uh, bathing himself or bathing himself? Bikashti lahaniach lopach shel shemen ba'ambati. I saw that he was going to uh, anoint his body with oil. And I said, Rebbe, before you rub the oil into your body, let me heat up the flask. Let me heat up the flask of oil in the, uh, in the bath, in the hot water. It'll be more pleasant and you know, uh, it'll be more effective if you rub warm oil onto yourself. Uh, Amrali, Rebbe said to me, uh, take the hot water from the bath, uh, put it into a second utensil, the ten, and then put the oil into it. Don't put the oil directly into the hot water bath. Instead, take the hot water out of the bath and then put the flask of oil into it to warm up the oil. Shma minatlat. We learn from this story three ta three things. And this is a very common, uh, a very common pattern of Talmudic discussion, a story, and then Shmamina, what in what halachas can we learn from the story? Number one, Shmamina Shemen Yeshbo Mishum Bishu. The first thing we learn is that oil has a prohibition of cooking. Uh, uh, you might have thought that warm oil and room temperature oil. Are are the same? You might have thought that nothing actually gets cooked. It's not like it's not like uh, taking chicken and cooking it, where there's so many chemical reactions that you end up with something very different when it is cooked. You might have thought that oil, whether it's heated or, or room temperature, is uh, exactly the same. Just that only the temperature is different. No, just heating it up is a violation of cooking, and therefore the same is true with water, even though it's exactly the same water and the only difference is the temperature. Just heating up the water is a Torah violation of Shabbos, uh, even though it's not at all like 
cooking an egg or cooking chicken or cooking something else where there's so many chemical reactions that, that reversing the process is for all practical purposes impossible. Once the chicken is cooked, it returns to room temperature, you don't reverse the cooking procedure. The, you know, in theory, any chemical reaction uh, could be reversed. Uh, but here we have so many chemical reactions taking place in practice, uh, it's just uh, impossible to reverse all of them. Uh, water, on the other hand, or oil, if you heat it up, and then let it return to room temperature, you have effectively reversed the heating procedure and you've gone back to exactly the way it was. You might think that a reversible procedure is not considered an act of cooking. Well, we learned from the story that Rebbe considered heating oil, water would be another example, heating it is indeed a violation of cooking on Shabbos. Shmamina, the second thing we can learn from this story, Klisheni Enulasha, we can learn, uh, the second point we can learn from the story is that um, Klisheni, uh, putting the oil not into the hot water of the bath, but into a second utensil, uh, is, is not considered cooking at all. Cooking can be violated by Shabbos only in the Kli Rishon. Kli Rishon is the Kli which is on the fire, on the source of heat. Uh, Klisheni is the utensil the pot, the pan, the utensil, which is not on the source of heat. Uh, in the klisheni, which is not on the source of heat, uh, there's no violation of cooking in Shabbos. The violation of cooking on Shabbos is only in the utensil, which is klirishon, on the source of heat. We're going to define this in greater detail in, in just a moment or two. Uh, Shmamina, the third thing we learn, is hefsher zehu bishul, that uh, just warming something up like oil, is indeed a violation of Shabbos. Okay, of all the things we learned from the story, the only thing I want to focus on this evening is the second point, that Kli Rishon, heating something in a Kli Rishon on the source of heat is a violation of Shabbos. Heating something up in Klisheni, a utensil which is not on, not on the source of heat, but could, could still be very hot, that's not a violation of Shabbos. That's the point I want to focus on. Now, the, the Tosafot on the sugya that we just quoted uh, says as follows. Uh, fascinating Tosafot. Well, I guess there's no such thing as a non-fascinating Tosafot. Tosafot says as follows. In Kli Rishon, on the heat, one violates Shabbos by heating up oil or anything. In Kli Sheni, which is not on the source of heat, you don't violate Shabbos. Tema, T Tosafot says, this is amazing. This is surprising this is uh, what on earth is the difference between kli rishon and kli sheni as far as cooking is concerned my shna kli sheni kli rishon what's the conceptual difference between them i understand the practical difference between them kli rishon is on the source of heat kli sheni isn't but what does that have to do with uh, whether or not you're cooking the iyad saletisbo if the pot, if the pan, if the utensil is very hot. What difference does it make if it's clearly reached on a klisheni? If the if the water or the oil in the utensil is very hot and you add raw food, it'll cook whether it's a klishon or a klisheni. What difference does it make? Yeah, oil, a lot of oil, a lot of hot oil in a pan uh, can be poured into a klisheni. It's very, very hot oil, dangerously hot oil. Uh, put into it food. It'll, it'll fry the food. Oh. <laughs> Why should that not be a violation of Shabbos? The E, ain't so let us bow. If the utensil is not hot, on the heat is also not going to cook anything. Uh, what, what defines cooking should not be this distinction between Kli Rishon and Kli Sheni. What defines cooking should be, is it hot or is it not hot? Uh, if it's hot, well, it'll cook. If it's not hot, it won't. And, and in Halacha, as you know, the, the, the definition of hot Bechol HaTorah Kula, the definition is Yad Soledet Bo, temperature, too hot uh, for your hand, burn your hand. Um, what temperature is that? 
well, uh, poskim disagree among themselves. And I just, like everything else in the world, the, the rabbis disagree about the exact temperature, how many degrees uh, centigrade is the temperature of Yad Salatit Bo. There's a divergence of thought. Uh, I, I did some uh, naughty experiments uh, with my myself, my family, and my neighbors. Uh, uh, put a, a, a pan of water on the on the cooker. Uh, put in a thermometer. Uh, uh, put in my hand. Ask other people to put in their hands in the cold water. Slowly heat the water and say, when you can't stand it anymore, take out your hands. And uh, well, uh, the, the naughty experiments which I did. Not so well controlled, I admit. Uh, around uh, 42, 43 d degrees was the temperature at which uh, everyone I tested had to take their water, they had to take their hand out of the water. So that's, a, that's, a, that's around Yad Saleted Bo. Uh, at this point, uh, you are wondering, quite justifiably, why temperature is a measure of, uh, of uh, uh, what will and what will not burn the hand. Um, this is a somewhat of a conundrum, uh, somewhat of an unsolved problem, in the words of the contemporary Poskim. After all, uh, measuring temperature is a fairly recent phenomenon in the history of science. Uh, when, the, when the Mishnah and Gemara prohibit measuring things on Shabbos, well, back in those days, measuring things on Shabbos had to do with length, had to do with volume, but uh, the idea of measuring temperature was an idea that had not yet come into the world in antiquity, and uh, they had no idea about that. And therefore, modern poskim wonder whether or not measuring temperature falls onto falls into the category of uh, of uh, uh, prohibited measurements on Shabbos, and that too. That too is a that too is a machloket, but in the seventeenth century, the, the 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 inventor of the thermometer, back in the seventeenth century, was a was a Danish scientist back in those days by the name of Römer. Uh, he invented the first thermometer, and uh, he put a scale on it. He marked different temperatures on the scale, and the Römer scale is still in use in certain engineering applications. But aside from a few uh, a few uh, engineering applications, his scale is no longer in use. His disciple was Fahrenheit, who created a much more useful scale, um, uh, finding the the coldest temperature he could in uh, Denmark in the winter, marking that as zero, finding the highest naturally occurring temperature he could find in Denmark in the summer, marking that as 100, and that gave him what is today called the Fahrenheit scale, which is still in use in some backwards countries where they've not yet graduated to the metric system. Um, why on earth is all this interesting? Uh, because uh, high temperature does not necessarily burn the hand. Uh, consider a very simple experiment, which you can do yourself, and I've done myself countless times. Uh, prepare dough that you want to bake into bread. Place the dough on a piece of aluminium, a piece of aluminum foil or baking paper. Uh, pick up the edges of the baking paper or the uh, 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 aluminum foil. Place it in to the oven. Close the oven door, come back half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour later, when the bread is fully baked, open the oven door, put in your hands, pick up the edges of the paper, take out the fully baked bread, and put it on a counter to, to cool off. I've done this countless times, and I've never burnt my hands. Although it's perfectly clear that the ambient temperature in the oven is very high, to, oh, 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 close to 200 degrees centigrade, for 350 degrees Fahrenheit. It's very, the ambient temperature in there is very hot. The, the 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 aluminum foil or the paper has been in there for 20 minutes. It's surely reached equilibrium with the ambient temperature in the in the oven. But of course, I don't burn my fingers when I pick it up. 
even though it is very hot and any thermometer will testify to the high temperature of the paper or the aluminum foil, it's very thin, the heat capacity is low, and therefore the heat dissipates very quickly into my fingers and I don't burn my fingers. What, what, is, what is yad soledetbo, what burns the fingers, is not temperature, but calories. Calories are a measure of energy, and if you don't have enough calories, if you don't have enough energy, then the, the, the skin is not going to burn. Nothing's going to cook. Well, this is something of a conundrum in modern postkim, uh, why they speak over and over again about uh, the temperature of Yad Soledad Bo, when uh, that really should not be a measure of what can and what cannot cook. Uh, but let's get to the fundamental point of the Tosafot. Tosafot's problem is, what, 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 what's the conceptual difference between Kli Rish and Kli Sheni? Uh, the only thing which should be important is whether or not the, uh, the utensil is hot enough that it can cook. Yesh Loma, the resolution of this conundrum is as follows. Lefisha Kli Rishon metoch she'amad al ha'ur, defonotav chamin, u'machzik chomoz man muruba. Kli Rishon, which is on the source of heat, a flame under it, or an electric heating element under it, or whatever the source of heat is. Kli Rishon, which is on a source of heat, the movement of energy is from the source of heat, from the flame or the electric heating element, into the floor and walls of the utensil. And then the heat is transferred into the contents of the pan, into the contents of the pot. That's the direction that the heat moves. And therefore, that has a definition of cooking as long as a minimum temperature of Yad Soledadbo is achieved. Ah, oh, Klisheni. Klisheni is in concept just the opposite. Klisheni, af algav de yad soledadbo, even if the contents of the food, even if the contents of the utensil in yad, yad even if the contents of the utensil in klisheni are very hot, mutter, there's no violation of cooking there. She'en defonatav chamin v'holechu mitkarer, there, the movement of energy is from the contents of the pan to the walls. In Kli Rishon, it's the walls and floor which are heating the food or the liquid. In Kli Sheni, it's the food or the liquid which is heating the walls and the floor of the, of the Kli Sheni. Now, the Tosafos, uh, which we just quoted, is back from the 12th century, from the High Middle Ages, centuries before uh, uh, Newton uh, came along. Uh, and and I, if I can reformulate, if I can restate the principles of the Tosafot in simple Newtonian terms, for those of you who are familiar with Newton, um, uh, what the Tosafot is saying is that in order to have a violation of cooking on Shabbos, the first derivative of temperature with respect to time has to be non-negative. If the first derivative of temperature with respect to time is non-negative, that is considered a violation of cooking as far as the Torah is concerned. What is and what is not cooking does not depend upon what chemical reactions are taking place or not taking place, the Maillard reaction or whatever. What is and what is not cooking depends upon whether or not the temperature is rising or holding its own. If the temperature is declining, as it is in a cliché, that's not called visual. Bottom line, although it is surely prohibited to brew coffee in a clearishon, that is to put the coffee into water, uh, into a utensil, onto a source of heat and boil it up, that's a clearishon on the source of heat. If the hot water is transferred from the clearishon into a clichéni, which is not on the heat, then adding the coffee to that is acceptable. That is the whole point of the story as understood by the Tosafot. 
well, uh, although we're not following our rabbis into the bathhouse to learn how to heat oil, exactly the same principles apply to brewing coffee or tea or anything else. Uh, if the hot water is in a cliché, you can add the coffee, the tea, whatever it is uh, you wish to brew. That's okay, according to what we've learned so far. Now, let's see what the modern posts can have to say about this. Well, I'm old enough that I consider the Mishnah Brewer to be modern, shade over 100 years ago. The um, uh, Mishnah Brewer says, If you pour hot water into a utensil, and afterwards put tea leaves. Tea leaves, unlike coffee, Tea leaves are not cooked, are not roasted, are not fried before you brew your tea. Tea leaves are always raw, uncooked when you brew your tea. Uh, there are two basic categories of tea. There's the ordinary brown tea and then there's green tea. Uh, the, the, the only difference, well, maybe it's a big difference, but the difference between ordinary uh, brown tea and green tea does not have to do with cooking. Uh, rather, it has to do with fermentation. Uh, in uh, in uh, Sri Lanka or wherever your tea comes from, uh, the farmer harvests the green tea leaves. Tea leaves are always green when they're harvested. And uh, in Sri Lanka or wherever, wherever your, your tea comes from, the, the farmer leaves huge piles of harvested green tea leaves in the sun, uh, fermentation takes place. You know, uh, there's no there's no simple way to stop uh, fermentation from taking place. Uh, uh, yeast is just floating around in the atmosphere all around us. Uh, we breathe it in all the time. Yeast is just all over the place. Uh, yeast falls onto the uh, tea leaves even before they're harvested. And uh, the yeast do their thing and they... Uh, uh, they ferment, uh, ferment the tea leaves. Uh, it's also a fairly complicated chemical reaction, but that, among the things that happens, is, is that the color changes from green uh, to brown, but the, the chemical reaction is so complicated that the taste uh, changes greatly. But there was no cooking. All of this happened at ordinary ambient room temperature, and therefore, whether it's uh, green tea or brown tea, uh, we're talking about a product which is not previously cooked, According to the Mishnah Brewer, if you pour hot water into a, a utensil, for example, a teacup, then you cannot add the tea leaves to it. Why not? That's exactly, sounds exactly like what the Gemara permitted, exactly like what the Tosafot permitted on the previous screen. What's wrong? Uh, Asua, the reason you cannot add the tea leaves to a cliché because it looks like cooking. It's a kind of and the appearance of cooking. Therefore, rabbinically prohibited. And, and here we get the, the real problem, which the Mishnah Brewer is focusing on, namely the problem of kalei habishul, some things are very easily cooked. The example of the Gemara is small fish. Uh, fish, you know, the, the, the proteins in fish are, uh, are structured very differently than the proteins of mammals. Uh, uh, one of the big differences between mammals and fish is that mammals are warm-blooded and fish aren't. Uh, 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 fish Fish uh, are designed uh, by a Kodesh Baruch to live in cold water, and they just adapt the body temperature to the temperature of the water. And for various complicated reasons, uh, this leads to very different kinds of proteins in, in uh, mammals, very different kinds of proteins in mammals when compared to the proteins in, uh, in fish. Um, the, the, the proteins in mammals are designed in a way, a protein is an incredibly complicated molecule. It's a, uh, only quite recently have, have, uh, 
have scientists, uh, chemists, begin begun to figure out the, the way the protein molecule gets folded together. It's a very complicated business. And there are all these sulfur bonds which hold the various parts of the of the uh, protein together. They're very complicated the structure. Uh, the, the, the mammalian protein is designed in a way to survive in relatively high heats, body temperature of a mammal. Uh, the, the proteins in fish uh, don't get to that temperature. They only have to, uh, the, the, those proteins in the fish only have to hold together in the cooler temperature of the water where they swim. And therefore, um, uh, it doesn't take much heat to, uh, to undo a fish protein. To undo a mammal, mammalian protein, you need a lot more heat and a lot more time, it's a lot more work to unfold it, uh, to break the sulfur bonds and unfold it. Now, all this is a complicated way of saying that meat needs a lot more cooking than fish does. Um, fish, basically, when you've heated it through, it's cooked. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't need much especially a small fish. And the small fish that the Gemara is talking about, uh, total cooking is accomplished just by pouring some hot water on it. And now it's fully cooked and ready to eat. There are some things like small fish, which are kaleha bishul, so easily and quickly cooked that they don't require a kli rishon. They can be fully cooked just by pouring hot water on them. Now, the, the big problem here is that although the Gemara gives one example of a food which is easily cooked, namely small fish, uh, uh, we, we don't know exactly what other foods fall into this category and which don't. And therefore, the Mishnah Brura is telling us we must be concerned that any specific food might fall into the category of kal habijul. Any specific food might fall into the category of easily cooked. We don't know exactly what the definition of that category is. And therefore, we must assume the worst. We must presume that any given food is kal habijul until proven otherwise. And therefore, we will not pour hot water onto any food, even in a klisheni, because maybe the food involved is kal habishul, quickly cooked, and uh, therefore prohibited. And uh, although the Mishnah Brewer is talking primarily about tea, because Russia, uh, where he lived, well, or Poland, it was part of Poland in his days, uh, Poland, where he lived, the political borders moved a lot, uh, Poland, where he lived, uh, was a tea-drinking country, but he, he knew about coffee. He said, uh, Although I've just discussed brewing tea, the din is exactly the same with coffee, even though coffee is previously roasted before you brew it, but it hasn't been boiled. It hasn't been previously boiled. We're talking about a new cooking procedure, different from the roasting, which uh, the, the beans underwent before they're brewed. Uh, well, still, you can't boil them, you can't, you can't heat them by cooking. It doesn't matter whether it's tea or coffee, you cannot prepare it in a klisheni. Uh, that's the position of the Mishnah Brewer. And that position is more or less universally embraced by the contemporary poskim. Let's go one step further. The Or HaSholchan. Or HaSholchan by uh, 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 Rav uh, Michael Epstein, when he was the great Rav of Navardic in Lithuania, contemporary, uh, a little bit younger, a younger contemporary of the Mishnah Brura. Uh, uh, I love this particular Sefer. I, I think it's great. Uh, but aside from me, the Sefer is highly prized and immensely influential. He says like this, Kevan zoe gemar malachto, since there are many foods, which just rinsing them with hot water is all you have to do to cook them. Have bishul for those foods, just rinsing them in hot water is cooking. Chayev b'Shabbos, that would be a total violation of, uh, of Shabbos, just pouring hot water on them. Haderach yashahu, therefore, the only proper way to prepare hot tea or coffee on Shabbos 
להכין תמצית מבעוד יום, is to prepare a concentrate before Shabbos on Friday, prepare a concentrate of, uh, of brewed tea or brewed coffee. Hu hadin bekava, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about tea or coffee. Bishar mine bishulim ka'elu, or anything else like that. Hot cocoa, chocolate, or cacao, hot chocolate, hot cocoa, hot coffee, hot tea, it doesn't matter. The only proper way to prepare it is to make a concentrate before Shabbos and then dilute that with hot water on Shabbos in order to prepare your beverage. That right there is the Machmir position, which is embraced by so many poskim. Let's understand what we have up to this point. A simple reading of the Gemara and the Tosafot lead to a conclusion that there should be no objection to brewing uh, coffee in a klisheni, namely adding the um, uh, the uh, uh, coffee to a room temperature container, like a coffee cup, and then pouring the hot water onto it. However, uh, we cannot actually do that because the Gemara did ne never discussed whether or not tea or coffee fall into the category of kal habishul, and therefore we must uh, suspect that tea and coffee are indeed kal habishul, and therefore cannot be prepared in a klisheni in the coffee cup or the tea cup. That's what we have up till this point. Now, let's take a look at the opinion of the Igris Moshe, Ramosha Feinstein. Lo matzinu ela kalea bishul shemit bashlim b'klisheni. The whole problem of kalea bishul, those easily and rapidly cooked fish in the Gemara, or presumably tea leaves or, or, or coffee, the, the whole problem was always raised only in connection with klisheni. Why was it raised only in connection with klisheni? Because it's obvious you can't put the tea leaves or the coffee into a klisheni. I mean, that's that's really cooking. Uh, and so they only discussed the prohibition of putting the tea or the coffee into a klisheni. Yeah. Uh -huh. However, the klishlishi brewing the coffee in a klishlishi was never discussed by the Gemara or the Rishonim or anyone else. Like a devarim mitbashlim. And therefore the conclusion is that just as, according to the Talmudic passage, there's no possibility in general of cooking in a klisheni, Kal HaBishul is the only exception, klishlishi cannot have any bishul at all taking place in it, even something which is kal habishul. And therefore, if the uh, coffee is put into the coffee grounds, are put into a dry, clean, fresh uh, French press, or into a coffee cup, the hot water is taken from the klirishon and then put into a klisheni. And from the klisheni, poured into the coffee cup or into the French press. Now we're cooking in a cliche shlishi, and that has no prohibition whatsoever on Shabbos. We have no choice but to be strict in klisheni because we don't know what is and what is not kal habishul. In all history of halacha, no one ever suggested being strict in klishlishi. This, incidentally, is historically not exactly correct. Uh, there was someone who suggested being, who actually insisted on being strict in klishlishi, and that was the Orcha Shulchan himself, whom we just mentioned on the previous screen. But uh, uh, Igris Moshe rejects that possibility out of hand. Uh, the Mishnah Bru uh, the, the Igris Moshe says, although you might claim that you are brewing coffee in a French press, which is a klishlishi, that's not really what's happening from the halachic point of view. From the halachic point of view, you're just coloring the hot water, that's all. Um, uh, just getting some of the flavor out of the coffee into the hot water, that's all. But halachic cooking, 
halachic brewing can take place only in Klirishon or for things which are Kale Habishul, and anything might be Kal Habishul, who knows, can take place in Klisheni, but surely not in Klishlishi. Bottom line, according to Igrus Moshe, the correct way to prepare to brew fresh coffee on Shabbos is in a Klishlishi. And this is an opinion which, aside from the Orach HaShulchan, uh, uh, all the other great contemporary poskim embrace. Um, uh, up until now, we've seen the mainstream of poskim. Now, let's see where there's some room for leniency uh, beyond what we've said up till this point. I'm going to quote the Yechavadas, written by Rav Ovadia Yosef, uh, the great Sephardic authority of the 20th century. And bear in mind, that the issue at hand is not a subject of controversy between Svardik and Ashkenaz Poskim, and therefore this is not an issue where each team will follow its rabbis, uh, since this is an issue which is not a matter of controversy, controversy between uh, Ashkenaz and, and Svardik authorities, so the rabbis on each side are of equal authority for everyone. Uh, the um, uh, Ravavadya in the Yechavadas begins by quoting Rabbeinu Tam, Ashkenaz authority, grandson of Rashi. Din irui mekli rishon, kedin kli rishon atzmo shemavasho. The idea is as follows. If you have a kli rishon, which was on the fire, which was on the electric cooker, so therefore the water in there is a kli rishon, if you pour the water out of the Klirishon into a Klisheni, at what point in time does the, does the status, the halachic status of the water change? At what point in time do we say that the water has changed its identity from being in Klirishon to Klisheni? What about when it's en route from, uh, from the Klirishon to the Klisheni? According to Rabbeinu Tam, when the water is en route, being poured from the Klirishon to the Klisheni. It hasn't made it to the Klisheni yet. It still retains the halakh status of Klirishon. Only when the water is in the Klisheni does it change its halakhic status into Klisheni. And that means that if you pour hot water from a Klirishon directly onto the food in a Klisheni, the Klirishon water hits the food before it hits the Klisheni, and that's called cooking in a Klirishon. That's the position of Rabbeinu Tam. According to Rabbeinu Tam, it's simply prohibited to pour hot water from a Klirishon directly onto food or anything which was not properly cooked before Shabbos. First, you have to pour the water into the klisheni and then add the food, not pour the water, hot water, onto the food. You can put the, the food, you can put the, the water first into the klisheni and then soak the food in that hot water. The Gemara taught us the klisheni does not have a prohibition of cooking on Shabbos. Omeri one of the other grandchildren of Rashi from that generation. Uh, the Ri is, uh, is bothered by this problem of the appearance of cooking, whatever you want to call it, and therefore Rabbeinu Tam and the Ri disagree about whether or not we should follow the Gemara, the leniency of the Gemara exactly, and permit what appears to be cooking in Klisheni, Rabbeinu Tam is Meiko, Ruri is Mahmir. Ri requires going to a Klishlishi. Alpizeh, the Piskei Tosifos. Piskei Tosifos was written by Rabbi Yaakov, uh, the son of the Rosh, who was the last of the Baalei Tosifos. He put together the Piskei Tosifos, the bottom line Psakvin, learned from the Tosifot. And he wrote, called the strict position of Ri is embraced as the psak of the Tosafot. The lenient opinion of Rabbeinu Tam is set aside, and that becomes the psak of the Mishnah Brura, 
and uh, that is the opinion of the contemporary poskim as we have seen but there is another opinion and these are still the words of Ravavadya Ulam however Hameiri one of the great uh, rabbis from uh, southern France the Meiri wrote Mutar Lishrot Afil Davash Lonit Bashel Kodim Shabbos Bukhlisheni. The Meiri from southern France wrote It's permissible to cook in a Klisheni as long as the, the water or the hot oil is there first, and then you add the food that you want to cook. You put the hot oil into a Klisheni and add the egg to that entirely permissible pouring the hot water onto a raw egg in a cliche no 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 because the hot water hits the, the egg before it hits the cliche but if the water or the hot oil is already in the cliche Meiri says exactly like the Gemara uh, that it's permitted to cook in there that's halakhically not called cooking we have the explanation of the Tosafot why it's not called cooking and no problem at all the Chain Mashmah with the Sefer Yireim. Sefer Yireim, written by Rabbi Eliezer of Metz. Metz, uh, Metz at the moment is in France. You know, it's one of these cities that, you know, from time to time gets moved back and forth between France and Germany. At the moment, uh, it's in France. Uh, uh, back in those days, of course, it was French. You know, we're going to deal with the filter. I'm going to get to the filter. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to these issues. The um, uh, the Chena Ran, Ran from medieval Spain. Many rabbis agree with the literal, straightforward application of the Gemara, and they're unconcerned with the possibility of something being kalhabishul and therefore subject to halacha cooking and klisheni. So we have uh, many many rabbis who are on the lenient side here. Alpi Mikarodela. Uh, and uh, the, 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 the Ginat Vradim, another great posek, they concluded that it's possible to be mako, uh, to be lenient, if we're talking at worst about a rabbinic issue of cooking. Bottom line, lefizer, mutar, lefet, kos ham, shayat zoledbo. Bottom line, it's permissible to put the tea leaves or the coffee, into a coffee cup which has hot water in it, even if the coffee cup or the tea cup is clichéning, even if the French press is clichéning, there are these postkim who permit putting the tea or the coffee directly into it. Well, we have a mainstream approach according to which the hot water must first be in a clichéshi, and then you add the coffee, and therefore, the hot water would have to be taken from a clerichon, transferred to a clichéni, and from there into the French press, or from there into your teacup or coffee cup, and then you add uh, the coffee or the tea to the hot water. That's the mainstream approach. Ravadia has just given his approval to the lenient approach, skipping the clichéni uh, and just doing it directly in clichéni. Since in many communities, the minhag is to follow this lenient opinion and brew tea or coffee in klisheni, in communities where they are following this lenient practice, we should let them continue doing what they're doing. Uh, they, they have whom to rely upon, they have these lenient opinions, and we will not shake our finger at them, we will not rebuke them, and we will not instruct them to be strict. If the minhag of the community is to brew tea or coffee in a klisheni, we will remain silent, we will smile at them, we know that they have whom to rely upon. If they ask for advice, Advice is, of course, always to follow the mainstream poskim and to prepare the coffee or tea in a klishlishi. Uh, does the leniency exist? Yes. Uh, should we advise that people follow it? No. 
if people are following the leniency, there's no reason to interfere. Up until this point, we've dealt with the problem of brewing the, the coffee. Now we're going to turn to the question of filtering the coffee. And the same problem applies to, to tea. Uh, when you drink the coffee or tea, you, you don't want to get the tea leaves in your, in your mouth. You don't want to get the coffee grounds in your mouth. You want all that to stay in, in the container. So as far as the French press is concerned, you push down, you push down the plunger and that filters the coffee. Well, there are many ways that the filtering might take place. Let's see the issue and whether or not there are any solutions. Uh, the Mishnah Brewer says, Asur livror Any utensil which is usually used for separating good from bad, any, any, any utensil which is usually used for filtering is a kli miyuchad. Let's get that typed correctly on chat. Kli miyuchad, a, a, a kli utensil specially made for separating, and that is prohibited on Shabbos. You can never use a kli miyuchad. You can never use a specially designed utensil for separating anything from anything on Shabbos. Uh, uh, and that would seem, on the face of it, to eliminate the possibility of using filter paper or using the plunger in the uh, in the French press. Uh, Mishnah Brewer repeats this idea a number of times. He repeats it more times. Back in those days, and indeed when I was young, not so long ago, uh, we did not have homogenized milk. Uh, people probably don't even know that there's such a thing as non-homogenized milk. But milk, <coughs> milk, when it comes from the cow, is a colloidal suspension of, uh, of fat globules, uh, which are colloidally suspended in the milk. Now, the uh, fat globules, which are colloidally uh, suspended in the milk, are, are so big that they cannot dissolve. On the other hand, they're small enough so that they stay floating around in the milk, uh, unless you allow the milk to stand. If you allow the fresh milk straight from the cow, if you allow it to stand, then the milk fat, the globules of milk fat, are going to eventually clump together. They'll become so big that they'll come out of colloidal suspension, and being of low density, they will float to the top. The cream is on the top, and the milk is on the bottom. When we used to buy a bottle of milk, that's the way it was. The top was the cream, the bottom was the milk. You could shake it up if you wanted and reestablish the colloidal suspension, or you could just carefully pour off the cream if what you wanted was cream to make whipped cream or for whatever recipe you wanted the cream for. Well, if you have if you have a um uh, oh well, that's wrong. Right now. The, uh, uh, if you have a glass, a bottle, if you have a container of milk with the cream floating on top, there it goes. Did it. Uh, if you have a container with cream floating on the top and you carefully pour off the cream from one container into another, so now you have only the cream, in a separate container, you can use that to make whipped cream or whatever the recipe uh, you have for using the cream is. Well, you've used a utensil for separation purposes. You've used the bottle itself as a tool to carefully separate the cream from the milk. Well, you've used the bottle as a tool for doing that, and therefore the bottle can be considered a special tool, a cream you had, for separating cream from milk. Indeed, how else would you separate the cream from the milk? That's exactly the way you do it. Um, uh, and therefore, you're not allowed to separate the cream from the milk on Shabbos. al Cain, therefore, yizaher kishemagia samuch lechalav yaniach ketzat imachalav. Therefore, 
if you want to separate the cream from the milk on Shabbos, start to pour the cream off into a separate container, but be careful to stop and not pour all the cream into a second container. Leave some cream floating on top of the milk. If you leave some cream floating on top of the milk, you've not completed the separation process. After all, uh, uh, the, the moment the prohibition of separating is violated is when you've got the completion of pouring the cream off all the cream is in one container, all the milk is in another container. That's the point in time in which you're guilty of violation. If you stop the separation procedure before pouring off all of the cream, all is well. And back in those days, if you wanted uh, cream uh, to add to the coffee, you could pour off a little bit of the cream Add that to your coffee and you're fine. You did not violate. You did not violate the prohibition uh, of separating because you did not complete the process of separating the, uh, the cream from the milk. Ashari, that's a permissible way of separating some of the cream from the milk. You cannot remove the, the, uh, the, 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 the cream entirely getting precisely every last bit of it out. Even though you want to use it right away, since you're using a utensil for separating, not doing it with your hands, you need the utensil in order to accomplish the separation. That's a violation of Shabbos. Well, let's think about the French press for a moment. If you press the plunger down, if you press the plunger all the way down, then at the bottom, you're going to have only uh, uh, t a coffee. And on top, only the coffee grounds are going to be on the bottom. And the liquid coffee is going to be on the top. If you press the plunger down and stop before you get to the bottom, then on the top, you're going to have coffee to drink. On the bottom, underneath the plunger, there's still going to be a mixture of coffee and coffee grounds. You've not completed the separation process. And therefore, applying the principle of the Mishnah Brewer here, if you want to use a French coffee press, when you push the uh, plunger down, don't push it down all the way, so as to leave in the bottom of the French press a noticeable mixture of coffee grounds and liquid coffee. Well, um, according to this, a kaf miyuchad librera uh, is uh, always prohibited, and uh, the filter in the French press is indeed a kli miyuchad, a, a tool for separating, and therefore you cannot use it for completing the separation process. Um, let's go uh, one step further and understand the conceptual importance of eating or drinking eating or drinking uh, uh, immediately after the separation. Now, the idea is as follows. Uh, uh, most uh, violations of Shabbos, writing, sowing, planting seeds, S-O-W-S-E-W, -S -E most of the violations of Shabbos result in a product uh, a written document, uh, a, a garment. Uh, 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 most of the most of the violations of Shabbos have a product. Borer, the prohibition of separating, has two products. Uh, you start out with a mixture of what you want and what you don't want, and you end up with two products, two separate piles: one you want and the other you don't want. In order to be guilty of borer, you have to end up with two separate products. That's why pushing the plunger only part way down does not give you a violation of borer because you don't end up with these two distinct products. You end up with one product, the coffee you want to drink, that's on top of the plunger. But on the bottom of the plunger, it's not only 
the coffee grounds you got more good coffee down there also and therefore you don't have the two products which are necessary in order to be guilty of cooking now if you do not use a utensil if you do the separation by hand no utensil at all so you're not guilty of using a special utensil and uh, you uh, eat the good stuff right away and leave only the bad stuff if you eat the good right away and leave the bad behind behold you don't have two products anymore why do you not have two products because you've eaten one of them and it no longer exists in the world and in order to be guilty of separating you need two products the good stuff and the bad stuff if you don't use a klimiyuchad a special utensil and you eat the good stuff or drink it right away then the good product no longer exists we're left with only one product and that's not a violation of separation on shabbos that's the conceptual understanding of what's going on here one final point has to be made in order to round out the picture and that is the definition of exactly what is and what is not a clean yuchad exactly what is and what is not a utensil that you're not allowed you're allowed to separate by hand if you're going to eat the good stuff or drink the good stuff right away and poskim disagree about how quick right away has to be um uh, that could be the subject of another shiur about exactly how quick you have to eat the good parts or drink the good part in order to be free of the violation of cooking but that's be pretty quick uh but what is a kli and what is using the hands well let's see what Ramosha feinstein says pashut it's obvious to him some utensils obviously are accomplishing the separation like the filter in the french press or filter paper used for um used for uh, uh, in brewing coffee or the, the tea bag itself is a filter some things are obviously accomplishing the filtering process the separation process they're prohibited on shabbos the tea bag of course uh, uh, accomplishes uh borer separating only if you squeeze out the uh, the tea from the tea from the tea leaves if you leave a mixture of tea and tea leaves in the bag you've not accomplished uh borer at all and therefore you're okay the, the the filter paper is definitely a violation of using a kli a utensil for for separating however if the utensil you're using accomplishes no more than you could have done by hand with your fingers, the only reason you're using the utensil, keep your fingers clean, so you're using a utensil, but you could have done the same job with your fingers. You're using a fork and knife to separate the meat from the bone. You could have used your fingers for that. Uh, the only reason you're not using the fingers is because you want to keep your fingers clean but the knife and fork are not doing a better job than you could have done with your fingers oh uh, or the only reason you're using a fork is because you have to reach further than your arm reach but if you could get there you could use your fingers if we're talking about uh, something which is wet a uh, uh, peas in a bath of water uh, you could put in your hand and scoop out the peas or you could use a slotted spoon the slotted spoon is not doing any more than you could have done with your hand and therefore the slotted spoon is not called a klimiyuchad and therefore using a utensil which accomplishes nothing more than you could have done by hand is not a violation of borer at all now as far as the french press is concerned or the or the filter paper used for coffee or the tea bag uh, as far as these are concerned the, the filtering done is indeed better than you could have done by hand and therefore these are kelim miuchadim 
and therefore the only basis for leniency would be to leave a mixture of tea and tea leaves in the bag, not squeeze out all the tea, or leave a mixture of coffee grounds and coffee underneath the filter in the French press. He goes on and brings a number of proofs for his contention, but that is the mainstream thinking of the postkin. In any event, with this, we're going to pause and uh, end the shi'ur for today. Uh, next week, uh, in this time slot, I'm going to be speaking about a different topic, which is, as far as I know, has not yet been established. Well, yes, it has. Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking about uh, uh, preserving the environment, uh, a very important topic nowadays. That'll be for next week. Until then, I wish you a, a good week and eventually a Shabbat Shalom and look forward to seeing you all again a week from tonight. Until then, Shalom, Shalom.